The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel can be found at our website, myemmanuel.net. Amen. Great to worship with you this morning. So wonderful to uh, see this one follow in uh, the obedience of baptism and how we rejoice with every life that confesses Christ and makes that confession public. The scripture says, if, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. So we confess Christ publicly as a part of our salvation and we rejoice in this this morning. Last week, I started a Bible study I've entitled The Missing Piece. And uh, we're talking about maybe that missing thing that in your spiritual life may keep you from that next big step that you want to take. And I realize that some of you were unable to be with us last week. And for some of you, it's been a long week. If I were to ask you what your middle name was, you'd be like, oh, I'm not sure. So uh, I just want to rehearse part of last week's sermon. Last week, we were talking about the fact that we're not all missing the same piece. We're in different places in life, different seasons of life. You're in, you're in a different part of your spiritual journey than somebody else's here in this room. And so I, I did my best to kind of divide us into some groups. These aren't levels. Somebody asked me, are these, are these like levels? No, they're, they're just different groups of people who want to, many of you, you want to make a a spiritual step in your life uh, with the Lord Jesus, a life, uh, a step that could really change how you see life and what you experience in your relationship with God. And there's just a, sometimes a blind spot that you don't realize you're missing. And so we talked about those. Let's rehearse those just for a second. Uh, some of you here this morning are unbelievers. You're, you're here because you're considering Christ. You're considering the claims of Christ. You're considering uh, that there might just be one way and that this might be it. And, and so let's talk a little bit about the missing piece that unbelievers tend to uh, miss. They, they tend not to be focused on, and that is the love of God. Many unbelievers, they're trying to figure out God, right? And so the reason we struggle so much with our heavenly father is because our earthly fathers weren't perfect. And frequently, we project whatever our experience was with our earthly father onto our heavenly father, and then it, it messes us up because our heavenly fathers weren't perfect. They weren't, some of them were terrible. And so we don't really know who God is. I meet people quite frequently who think that God's some kind of cosmic killjoy. He's got a spiritual baseball bat. He's waiting for you to sin. Wham! And he's going to hit you over the head with it. And that creates a problem for you when it comes to trusting in and giving your life away to this God that you don't even quite know how to relate to. So the missing piece for you, I would suggest, is the love of God. Because God's not a cosmic killjoy waiting to strike you with lightning. He's a God who loves you so much. The scripture says this in Romans 5.8. He demonstrates his love in this way in that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus came to die for us. In fact, if you, if you only know one verse in the Bible, it's probably John 3.16, right? For God so 
loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. In Ephesians chapter 2, there's a description of unbelievers and how we're separated from God. But in verse 4, it says, but God with the great love with which he loved us. If you're reading the Bible in any other way other than the fact that it's a love letter from God, you're actually missing the point. He loves you with an everlasting love. The psalmist says, a steadfast love, an enduring love. The New Testament word is an agape love. It's an unconditional love. And the love of God is wooing you, calling you now. If you're still like struggling with Jesus and the death of the cross with me, he's calling you now because what God wants with you is this love relationship, which is deeper and wider and stronger and better than anything the world has to offer. And Romans chapter eight says, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so if you're here today, I, I, I would encourage you, give your life to Christ. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make, and you will enter into a level of uh, fulfillment and love and peace and joy that you have never known. And so that's the missing piece for unbelievers. There's a second group we talked about last week. It's really a subset of unbelievers. It's disbelievers. Now, disbelievers are unbelievers, but they're unbelievers for a different reason. Unbelievers, God, the Holy Spirit is frequently drawing you with his love. Disbelievers are running from the love of God. Frequently, disbelievers grew up in church. Your mom and dad made you go to church. In fact, when you were young, you had a drug problem because your parents always drug you to church, right? And, you, and people frequently, what they're really resisting, they don't know this. They're not really resisting God. They're really resisting religion. And, and so what happens is when they run away from that, they run away from God. It's kind of like throwing the baby out with the wash. They, they miss what God's really trying to do. And I, and I want you to know, religion sends a lot of people to hell. There are a lot of people who are in church this morning. In fact, they attend church every Sunday and they don't have this love relationship that I just described with God. They're religious people, but they don't know Jesus in a personal way. You're not a Christian because you're in church every Sunday morning. Let me see if I can prove it to you in a funny way. You, if you went and sat in a garage every Sunday morning, you wouldn't be a car. You don't get saved from the outside in, you get saved from the inside out. And it's a personal relationship, a personal commitment that you make to Christ. Jesus' harshest sermons that he preached were against traditional religious people. And so if you're here this morning and you're really pushing back against religion, I want you to know I, I'll join you in that. People are often surprised when they, so this is what happens to me. You have to know it's kind of weird being a pastor because so I, I try not to tell people what I do because when I do, it changes our relationship and people get really weird. And so, uh, so eventually it happens, though. I, I'm talking to somebody, and they go, well, what do you do? And I say, I'm the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church. And then, well, well this last week, the guy goes, oh, uh, I'm not religious. And I say, oh, well, that's good, because neither am I. He said, I thought you said you were a pastor of the church. I am. But I'm not religious. Religion sends people to hell. You need a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're a disbeliever today, it's just a matter of acknowledging your sin. And, and, and quit fighting against what you think is horrible, terrible uh, thing that God has the right to tell you what to do and that he created you and redeemed you 
and turn back to him. And so that's the key for disbelievers. There's a third group we talked about last week, and that is those believers. Now, these are believers. They've given their life to Christ. They've asked for the forgiveness of sins, but they are worldly-minded believers. I mean, they've never really learned how to live by faith. They haven't learned how to walk in the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, it says to walk in the Spirit is life. It says the mindset on the flesh is death. So you can be a Christian who when you die, you're going to go to heaven, but you can still make all of your decisions in an earthly, fleshly, worldly kind of way. And there are many Christians, if you see them, you just see them doing life, you would never guess that they're Christians because they live like the world. They think like the world. And so the missing piece for those who are worldly-minded believers is faith. And faith is the thing the scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because we, we walk by faith. It's the process of not only how we're saved, but then the continuation of that. In Genesis chapter 15, verse six, it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now it sounds like a New Testament verse, but it's in Genesis. The apostle Paul quotes it in Romans to prove to us that nobody gets saved by their works. You get saved by faith. You put your faith and trust in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that when he died that death, he died it to pay for your sins. And you say, well, how can I know that? He rose from the grave to prove that he had the power to forgive your sins. Now, for some reason, people believe that because they don't want to go to hell. They want to go to heaven when they die. But they can't appropriate that faith into everyday life. The easiest place to talk about it is your money. It's just the easiest place for me to pick on you. There's so many people like, oh, I trust Jesus. I'm so happy I'm going to heaven. But you can't even be generous with your money in terms of giving it to the kingdom. You're like, oh, I don't know if I got that much faith. And it's why you don't experience that next big step in your Christian life. Because when you start to walk in faith like that, then God starts to bless in so many ways. Occasionally when I preach on tithing or something, somebody will come up to me and they'll go, Pastor, you know what? I tried that and it worked. Can you believe it? And I'm like, yeah, actually, I can. But people are just shocked that the word is true. You say, well, how does 90% go further than 100%? I don't know, but in God's economy, it always does. And what comes with it is all kinds of other blessings and miracles. And so this is the key for the worldly-minded believer. And then we talked about immature believers. And I'm so thankful that Emmanuel, we have a pretty good group of immature believers. You say you're thankful for that? Yeah, because it means that people are coming to faith in Christ. When you come to faith in Christ and you're born again, the day you're born again, you don't You don't just become a, I know my whole Bible and I'm ready to go and I'm fully mature. It's like being born again. You start as a babe in Christ. You start in immaturity. But what I said to you last week is nothing wrong with babies. I love babies. It's fun to hold babies, cuddle babies, kiss babies. And then when they mess up their diapers, to give them back to their moms. The thing about babies is if you take your baby to the the well check, to the doctor, uh, six months, nine months, one year, and, and, and then f- for three months you go and then your baby didn't grow. Didn't, not longer, not heavier, no gain weight. Then the doctor goes, uh, we better run some tests. Why? It's okay to be a baby. It's not okay to stay a baby. We were meant to grow. So it is in Christ. We who are immature give our lives to Christ. 
We're meant to grow up. And this is what Ephesians chapter 4 is about. How in church life we, we grow up in the faith. So what's the missing piece for those who are immature? The thing that I discover over and over again is the thing they're missing is to have a mature believer in their life who can be their spiritual mentor and coach. In fact, if immature believers are all together, and frequently they are, because they're all kind of in the same place, then they come up with the wrong conclusions. And immature believers sometimes are up and down and in and out and back and forth. Why? Because they're immature. So you need someone in your life who's mature, knows the word, knows God, knows how to pray, has heard the voice of God before, has been through some of the things in life. They love you. They care about you. You need that person in your life. Let me just add to that. And now that I've grown out of immaturity to maturity, do you know what? I still need that person in my life. I have those in my life more mature than me who I'm quick to call on when I'm struggling with something in life. Let me say it this way. If you are the most spiritually mature person that you know, you're in trouble. And so I I have those people in my life to this day that I call on, that I pray with, that I get advice and counsel from because that's what you need in order to step to maturity. Well, last week, those of you who were here, remember that I got to that last group of people. And the last group of people are mature believers. And when we got there, I said to you last week, and the missing piece for mature believers is something that I'm not going to tell you until next week. That's what I said Last week. And now we've arrived at that point. Now, before we look at the missing piece for mature believers, I want to see if we can all agree on a statement. Uh, Listen to this and see if you can follow this and if you'll agree with me. It is possible to be a mature believer and not be experiencing the power of God, the miracles of God the blessing of God, all that he intends for you. It's, it's fully possible. It's completely possible for you to be a mature believer. You've been in the faith for a while. You know God's word. You've studied God's word. You've memorized God's word. You've had answers to prayer. You know how to pray. You, you've overcome some of the sin of the early part of your sanctification, and you move closer to being like God. It's possible to be completely spiritually mature and still on a regular basis, not be experiencing the power of God, the miracles of God, and the blessing of God. Do you agree with that statement? Are you with me? Uh, It mostly comes out of my own experience. There are times when I've just not experienced any of that from God. So, So I'm talking to mature believers who may have a missing piece part of this spiritual jigsaw puzzle that you can't seem to find in order to make that next step in your spiritual life. When I share this missing piece with you in just a moment, you're going to be totally let down. In fact... You're going to be so underwhelmed, it may border on being disgusted for some of you. And I'd even go so far as to say, if it weren't rude, some of you might just get up and walk out. But I want you to consider the possibility that this reaction of yours 
may be an indicator of why this peace is missing in your life. It's possible that you've so completely dismissed this biblical concept that when you think about what the missing piece could be, this would never, ever come to your mind. When I say it, some of you are going to roll your eyes. You're going to start to think of excuses why you can't be here next Sunday and the Sunday after. In fact, it's the reason that I didn't tell it to you last Sunday because if I did, some of you wouldn't be here this week. Are you ready? The missing piece for many mature believers is the church. Okay, there, I said it. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you're right, Paul. This is going to be a complete waste of my time. You're thinking that the next few minutes in your life are going to be like a bad timeshare presentation. You're thinking, oh, poor Paul, he has to make this presentation because he works for the church. He's got to do this. But I want you to know that after 40 years of ministry and thousands of hours of mentoring and discipleship, this is probably your missing piece. It's possible that your misunderstanding of what the Bible truly teaches about the church has become a blind spot for you. We used this phrase last week. Let's just, just be reminded. The, the, the word blind spot comes from the driving culture, right? So you're driving, you're in the left lane, and uh, uh, you've checked your mirror several times, nobody in the right lane, and, but there's a person back there, and they're not driving way faster than you. If they were, whoom, they just go by you. They're just driving two miles an hour faster than you. So what happens is they just slowly are creeping up on you and they are slowly creeping into that blind spot. Is it possible that even though you're a mature believer and you know your Bible, after years of that, just slowly this has become a blind spot for you. So, so let's take a look at what may be your blind spots. Blind spot number one. You believe that the primary teaching of the Bible concerning the church is about the universal, invisible church. Now, uh, I, I fully am aware that some of you in this room are unbelievers, disbelievers, uh, worldly thinking believers, uh, immature believers. Here's what I want to say to you. This is still appropriate for you. This is great for you to hear, even though you may not get it. But I'm, I'm going to go a little deep with mature believers because they know this stuff. And this is actually how it became a blind spot for them. So when you look at the concept of the church... The, word, the Greek word is ekklesia. It means the called out ones. And it's only used in the New Testament. never appears in the Old Testament. When you look at it, there are times when the teaching of the New Testament is about this universal, invisible church. Every believer in the church age, from Acts chapter 2, that's the birth of the church, until the rapture of the church, which I hope is this afternoon. So, 
So every person who's given their life to Christ from Acts chapter 2 until the rapture, we all make up the church. This is the universal, invisible, kind of ethereal church. Now, in the New Testament, you take all the usages of the word church, all of them, and when the Bible is talking about this entire group of people for the 2,000 years plus, it speaks of them, when it uses the word church, 3% of the time. One, two, three. Three percent of the time. 97% of the time, when your New Testament is using the word ecclesia, the called out ones, calling us the church, 97% of the time, it's talking about a local group of baptized believers who covenant together in Christ Jesus to do the will of God and the purpose of God, which is primarily missions and evangelism and discipleship to those that we lead to the Lord. And we do it in a covenant relationship where we pray for one another and we bear one another's burdens and we love one another and we intercede for one another. There's 47 one another's in the New Testament all about this experience And the experience is of a specific, local, tangible, touchable church. Let me prove my case. If I said to you this morning, turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, many of you would know how to find that. When you find the letter of Romans, you discover that the letter of Romans is a specific letter written by a specific apostle, the apostle Paul, with ink and papyri. Everything's tangible and touchable. It's all physical. And he writes this letter speaking to them about issues that are important, and he puts it in someone's hand, like, uh, oh, it's Phoebe. We know who it is with Romans. Puts it in Phoebe's hand, a real person, and she goes to the church at Rome. Now, because the, the letter, Romans, was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and because it was preserved by the Holy Spirit, I can say to you today, 2,000 years later, I can say, turn in your Bibles to the, to the letter of Romans, and you can do that. The book was written for all of us, but it was written to a very specific group of people that were known as the church at Rome. When he writes to Corinthians, it's the church at Corinth. When he writes Philippians, it's the church at Philippi. When he writes, to the, when he writes Colossians, it's to the church at Colossae. When he writes to the Ephesians, it's the church at Ephesus. When he writes to Thessalonians, it's to the church at Thessalonica. In fact, when you get to the book of Revelation, it's written to seven churches. And they're all named there because they are real churches with real people. They are local groups of baptized believers covenant together to do the great commission and the will of God. 97% of the time. So... Maybe your blind spot is you've just been thinking about the churches, all the believers in the world, all kind of doing what they do, all kind of freelancing, and you haven't really realized what God intended when he put us together as actual, tangible, physical groups. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16. 
Matthew 16 is the conception of the church. I told you Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church. Acts 16 is the conception of the church. If you read your Bible and you start in Genesis and you're reading all the way through, I already told you, you won't find the word church in the Old Testament at all. It doesn't appear. The closest you can find is the word congregation, which has some parallels, most certainly, but the congregation almost always speaks to the nation of Israel. Jesus has now been in his public ministry for three years. He's only going to go three and a half. He's going to be to the cross at the three and a half year mark. So three years he's been walking with the disciples, these 12 guys, and he has not mentioned the church yet. Why? Because it would be premature. Because they have to come to a certain spiritual understanding as unbelievers and disbelievers. And he had both of those groups in his disciples. They have to come to a certain understanding before they're ready to talk about the church. And so in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, there's a conversation. Jesus says, uh, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, people say you're all kinds of things. You're, you're, a, you're a prophet. You're a prophet come back from the dead. You're this, you're that. And then Jesus says this. He says, but who do you say that I am? He still asks that same question today. He asks of every single person on the planet. Every one of us at some point will make the decision, who is Jesus? On this occasion, Simon Peter, speaking for the whole group, says, you're the Christ. This means Messiah. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Every single salvation experience that happens to every single person is a spiritual thing. Nobody arrives at their salvation by, by mere academic processes. It's not like algebra. It's not like geography. It's, it's not like uh, English lit. You don't arrive there. Now, yes, you have to know some basic things, but every person is saved not from their head, but from their heart. It's a spiritual dynamic. And, and, and Jesus tells us that the Father has to reveal this to you. The Father always reveals the Son. He, 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 he has us look at the Son. He points us at the Son. It's why in John 14, 6, Jesus would say, there's no way to the Father except through the Son. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so now the disciples are at the place, spiritually speaking, where they confess this. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Here's our lives. We give them to you. So now they are ready for the next concept. He says in verse 18, I tell you that you're Peter. It means you're a little tiny rock. You're the kind of pebble you get inside your sandal that bugs you. You're Peter, but on this rock, it's a different word. It's a different word than Petros. It's Petros. It's a, it's a, it's a ledge rock. It's a foundational rock. It's a rock of Gibraltar kind of thing. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He goes on to say, uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we have some promises here from God, but we discover in Matthew 16 that the church, the church is designed by God, invented by God, specifically Jesus. Jesus protects the church. He empowers the church. That the only way into the church is through a spiritual birth. We celebrate that 
in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the picture of death to self. You come into the water, the water comes across you. It's a picture of the cross of Christ. That's death. You die to self. When you're dead, you're buried. And then you come back in new life. Baptism is a picture of that which we confess in Christ Jesus. The the Lord's Supper is a picture of that which we confess in trusting in his death for, uh, for us. And the scripture says we do this until he returns. So all of this is a part of that. And so we discover then that, that in blind spot number two, you may be functioning like the universal church is God's design, but you've forgotten that each local church is also of God's creation. It was too cold today in church. They had the air conditioning way, way down too far. I mean, I know it's going to be hot, but I was cold. I don't know who makes the coffee, but oh my goodness, it's terrible. Uh, m- music should have been peppier today. I, I don't know what happened to the pastor this week. He was really off. This is the way we talk about church. We don't talk about it like it's holy. We don't talk about it like it's from God. We don't talk about it as if it's God's idea and his design. We talk about it like it's of human creation. So faith chapels like this and Emmanuel's like this and harvest is like that and grace points like this. and We just kind of compare them like consumers and we miss what God is doing because we've developed this blind spot about church. Blind spot number three. You hold the promises of Matthew 16 as individual promises for all believers when in reality they are corporate promises for the church. Still got Matthew 16 open? Jesus says... I will build my church. By the way, let let me prove to you that even every individual church is not of human creation or design. Look at the pronouns in the phrase, I will build my church. Notice what they don't say. Jesus didn't say, you will build your church. He didn't say, you will build my church. He didn't say, I will build your church. He didn't say any of those things. He said, I will build my church. Who does church belong to? Say it out loud. Jesus. It's it's completely of divine design. So what we do here is spiritual in nature, and when it ceases to be that, we we disconnect from its, its purpose. But there is a promise here. He says, I will build my church. Here's the promise. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I misread that verse. Did you catch it? Because... I misread it the way that many of you believe it. You believe it to be an individual promise for all believers of the church age because we're the universal invisible church and so this is given to all believers. Even if you don't attend church anywhere, you're out there living for Jesus, right? And you're going and the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. That's not what your Bible says. It does not say that. This promise is not for you individually. This promise is for us corporately. 
when we are the church. The, the word actually says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The antecedent of it is the church. This is why some of you, excuse my language, spiritually are getting your butt kicked. Because you're, you're, man, you're like, I read my Bible and I'm praying, I'm out there, but you are doing it disconnected from, divorced from, devalued the church. The church is God's plan to reach the world. And by the way, do you know how God's plans work? When plan A doesn't work, he falls back on plan A. There is no plan B for God. He doesn't need a plan B. We think, okay, well, what's the, what's the fallback position here? You know, where, when do we say Alamo and we all run for it? That's not how it works. He blesses the church. He pours out on the church. In fact, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. There's more promises, verse 19. And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That's not for you personally. You don't get to walk around and go, I bind this in the name of Jesus. Look at me. I am some kind of, let me get both of them. I am some kind of spiritual. That's, no, that's not what that verse is. The verse is for the church. And so you're missing it because it's become a blind spot for you. Blind spot number four. You believe that going to church and supporting the church are enough to fulfill the admonitions of Scripture. Oh, and there are some admonitions in Scripture. Uh, in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. But, but you believe that your attendance and if you put something in the offering box are enough to fulfill the commands, whatever they are in there, for the local church body that you are a part of. And you've come to believe that, and you hold that. That's why you're here this morning. I attend and support Costco. There's some things and there's some ways in which Costco ministers to me and I give them some money for that. I've discovered that Costco has a way of really meeting me in my daily life where I live. Like toilet paper, <laughs> rotisserie chicken, and those industrial sized bags of Cheetos. I go there, I'm a member, support them frequently by my attendance and my financial contribution. I hope you won't think less of me, but I also attend and support Shields. Quite honestly, my worship experience at Shields is better than Costco. <laughs> Camo and ammo and Christian music on the speakers. So when I need worship, I go to Shields. I meet other men who are worshiping there frequently. For my daily life, though, I attend Costco. You kind of get it, right? In Acts chapter 2, 
the birth of the church. Uh, Matthew 16 is the conception of the church. Acts 2 is the birth of the church. 3,000 people are saved. And the scripture says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to their doctrine, to the breaking of bread and prayers and fellowship. The word devoted comes from a Greek word. The root word is might. And what it means is they gave themselves to the church with all their might. That's what it means to be devoted. That's way more than attending and supporting. These are people who are obsessed by, immersed in, overwhelmed in, can't help but think about anything else, passionate about, totally connected to the church. Because, ecclesia, right? Are you with me? We are the called out ones. So I'm not, I'm not connected to the building. I'm not connected to the denomination or the organization. I'm connected to you. And you're connected to me. And we're, we're real people. I know your name. You know my name. We're, we're, it's a physical, local group. We're the group assigned to Billings, Montana. Because even though we're not the whole invisible thing, we're that group. Like we're a platoon in a company. We're at one ship in the fleet. We, we, we've got our assignment. This is, we're, and we are devoted to giving our might to one another because we are the church. You see, you can never say, I am Costco. No, Shields is employee owned, but you can't say, I am Shields. But you can say, I am the church. I am one of the called out ones. And this is possibly what you're missing. If you're, if you're mature and you know you are, but you don't see God do miracles and you haven't experienced any of the power of God, the supernatural blessing of God, you're like, but I'm mature, so what could I be missing? There's a really good chance this is what you're missing. I've chosen for my benediction this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It's a beautiful passage, poetic, it's beautiful, It'd be a great passage to memorize. I want to use it for the benediction this morning. It says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, man, I love the word abundantly, especially when it has to do with what God's going to give me and do for me. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, the word think means imagine. I can imagine a lot of stuff. For him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. Notice it's plural. It's not the power that's at work within me. It's in us, the church. You say, oh, how do you know that's the church? Because there's a context here. According to the power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the, what's the word? Say it out loud. Say it louder. Oh my goodness. Here it is. To him be glory in the church. The glory of God doesn't come to you just because you're out freelancing, lone ranger, spiritual guy on your own. In fact, the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against you is not yours. It's ours. When we're together, 
when we're connected, when I care for you and love you and pray for you and you care for me and love me and pray for me and we bear one another's burdens and side by side and shoulder to shoulder, we decide, you know what? We can do more than billings. We're going to work with compassion. We're going to do Sri Lanka. We're going to do Ecuador. We can't, this is the more than you can ask or imagine. This is the abundant power that is work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and all God's people said, amen. amen. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, joining the church won't help you. It's all about Jesus, and it's about a love relationship with him. If you're here this morning and... Uh, You've just been kind of living like the world. Uh, we, sometimes we use the word backslidden. And come back to Jesus. Come back. He accepts prodigals every day. Come back. But mostly my sermon this morning is to those of you, you read your Bible every day. You pray every day. You're finding, trying to find ways to share your faith. You are the mature. Is it possible that the Holy Spirit of God this morning has spoken to you about an element in your spiritual life that you have started to devalue. Oh, you're not completely disconnected from it, or you wouldn't be here. But it has not taken its rightful place. And because of that, you've been wondering, why no power? Why no miracles? Why no blessing? Has God spoken to you this morning? Father, you know everything about us. You know the journey that brings us to this very moment. And I pray that you have spoken to our hearts so that we can take that next step forward of faith and maybe discover something that's been missing in our lives, maybe something we've been completely blind to and begin to experience what you always intended for us fulfilling your creative and redemptive design that we might walk with you in love and we might share that love to a dark world that so desperately needs you. Would you use us as the Emmanuel Baptist Church, the ecclesia that you've placed right here in this locale to do your actual work here on earth? And I pray this morning that there are some in this room who are committing themselves to this body of believers to do that, just that very thing. Do this for us is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Uh, now, there's layers of this we haven't unpacked yet. So we're going to continue to talk about the church. I hope you'll continue to come because there's some stuff here that maybe you just haven't seen before that God wants for you and it comes with great blessing and power. Will you stand with us? Let's sing to the King.
to grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. So I can face tomorrow, for tomorrow's in your hands. All I need you will provide, just like you always have. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at myemmanuel.net.